As always, it is my privilege to meditate on God's Word with you today. So, uh, as Pastor John said, it's been a while since we've been in Proverbs. If you can believe it, it was September 22nd. So, it indeed has been a while, and so today we're just going to jump right back in. Uh, So far in Proverbs, we've learned a few things. We've learned that the root of learning wisdom is the reverential fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Uh, We've also learned that only a fool would turn away from true wisdom. Wisdom calls us and demands a response, either a yes or a no. And then we've learned in the first five chapters of Proverbs that wisdom protects us and gives us abiding peace. Wisdom calls us to be people of goodwill. And Solomon, uh, the last time we were in Proverbs in chapter 5, Solomon gives us this vivid warning against adultery, not only in the sense of infidelity to our spouses, but also infidelity to God whenever Uh, We reject his ways or sin against him or worship idols or whatever the case may be. Now, we're not going to linger in chapters 6 and 7 since much of those chapters uh, deal with ground that we've already covered or or that we're going to cover later uh, when we get into the collection of, of the individual Proverbs that begins in chapter 10. But in the second half of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, that chapter and a half sets up chapter 8 for us. Uh, Chapter 6 and 7 are basically an extended warning against adultery yet again, which is always in the Jewish mind a picture of any kind of idolatry, any kind of falling away from God, of breaking the covenant that he has made with us. And so today in chapter 8, uh, we're going to see that wisdom is personified as a woman. We've seen this before in Proverbs. Uh, she is personified uh, uh, as a woman. Woman wisdom draws people to God, unlike the adulteress. Uh, and she draws people to God if they receive her teaching. And there's a choice to be made here. Uh, so the lesson of chapter 8 is this. Wisdom is essential to life. It is essential to life, and in a much deeper way than we might think or imagine. And so the chapter is laid out like this. In verses 1 through 11, we see wisdom's call and character. And then in verses 12 through 21, we see wisdom's value. And then in 22 through 31, we see this amazing uh, passage where wisdom is a craftsman. And then we see wisdom's blessing in the last verses and so for the sake of of time today I'm only going to be I'm not going to read all of Proverbs 8 uh, for us because we might be here till lunchtime if we if we do that Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 22 through 31 uh, and this is where we see wisdom as the craftsman. And this really is the, the key passage within chapter 8. This is at the heart of understanding why wisdom is so essential for our lives. And the reason is, is because wisdom is the founding principle of God's creation. Wisdom is the founding principle of God's creation. And so I'm going to read for us verses 22 through 31, and if you'll follow along with me in your Bibles. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. 
Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, let's uh, go ahead and look at uh, wisdom's call and character in verses 1 through 11. The woman wisdom of Proverbs 8 stands in stark contrast to the crafty seduction of the adulteress in chapter 7. You can read that later on this afternoon. The woman wisdom and the adulteress both have something to offer, but only wisdom offers truth and righteousness and even life. Meanwhile, the adulteress just lurks in the streets trying to trap men with her lies and deceit, The adulteress is dangerous, and so all at once her victim falls for her in verse 23 of chapter 7 as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. But the woman wisdom in chapter 8 is quite different. As she calls, she stands in plain view of everybody. Uh, In verses 2 through 4 of chapter 8, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. The point is that wisdom is available for ordinary people like you and me. It's available to everybody. God doesn't hide wisdom. Wisdom doesn't require some kind of special credential or or a degree in something. Wisdom is not about a, a quest. Wisdom is a response to God. Wisdom is a gift from God that we respond to. And she's out in the open. She's easy to find if we're looking for her. And she speaks plainly and above board and honestly. And her character, unlike the adulteress, is godly. She teaches prudence and sense in verse 5, and and she teaches that even to fools. While the adulteress just takes advantage of fools. But the woman wisdom is a blessing to those who hear her. And so we understand biblical wisdom not so much because of our IQ, brothers and sisters. We understand wisdom because of our faith in the living God. And it doesn't matter whether we finished high school or not, or whether we have a doctorate. That isn't the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, as chapter 1 taught us. And so then in verse 6, the woman wisdom speaks noble and right things. She speaks the truth in verse 7. And everything that she says is 
righteous in verse 8, and nothing about what she teaches is twisted or perverse. And her words in verse 9 are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. This is something that's very similar to what Jesus said in Luke 7, 35. Uh, The Jewish leaders were were, uh, criticizing him because he was hanging out with sinners and because he was uh, teaching them instead of hanging out with the elite Jewish leaders. And so Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, wisdom is declared right by the results. The wisdom of Jesus' ministry as he declared the gospel to sinners and as he spent time with them was proven in the fact that even they became children of God. And the same is true right here in verse eight, or in uh, chapter 8 of Proverbs. The character of wisdom is so strong that she draws people to God and into a relationship that's worth more than all of the wealth you could ever imagine. This is the incredible thing about wisdom in verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now, one of my mentors uh, early in my adult life uh, told me over and over again, and this has been a refrain all through my life since then, always take the high road. Always take the high road. And what that means is that that even if I've been wronged or I've made a mistake or whatever the situation, always treat others with dignity and respect and honesty. No matter who they are, speak honestly and fairly and do what's right. And I think that's a little window into the godly character of wisdom personified here as a woman. She's always taking the high road and encouraging us to do the same thing. She speaks the truth and and is telling us to do the same thing. She stands for righteousness and we're to mimic wisdom. We're to to, uh, be taught by wisdom and learn from wisdom and and walk in righteousness ourselves. Wisdom always is drawing us ever nearer to God and, and his holiness. And so the point is, is that that we should be shaped by wisdom in our own lives. In fact, that's the measure of wisdom, isn't it? If something draws us away from God, it's just simply not wisdom. If something we do is not godly, it's not wise. Anything that is contrary to God and his ways simply is not wise. So that's why nothing compares with true wisdom, not even all of the wealth you could imagine, as verse 11 asserts. All to say, wisdom is supremely valuable. And that's what we see next in verses 12 through 21, wisdom's value. What she has to offer us, if we respond to her call, benefits us immeasurably. And it benefits us by her ability to to deliver to us true happiness and safety and security in our faith in our Lord. Now, prudence and knowledge and discretion are her constant companions. Prudence here means sensible behavior. And so what about your life? Does that describe you? Are you behaving sensibly? 
Or are you taking part in things that are clearly uh, not sensible? Knowledge includes our ability to understand and our, our uh, discernment. And so are you, uh, it also includes uh, simply our knowledge. So are you going about your life in a way where you are desiring to learn more and more, first and foremost, about your God, and then also about the world around you so that you can live wisely? Does that describe you? Discretion means careful behavior that that arises from clear thinking. Are you a clear thinker? Are you careful in your behavior? Does that describe you? You see, the point here is that wisdom teaches us how to live a discreet and careful life, uh, really a, a life of holiness as opposed to a reckless life. Now, the key to living that careful and discreet life that we find in verse 13, as we see another aspect of the fear of the Lord. In chapter 1, it was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And here, now here in verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Well, this is another way of saying that the fear of the Lord is the love of holiness. Wisdom is rooted in holiness. And so in verse 13, we realize that there is an ethic involved. There's a a principle of integrity and morality that we simply cannot reject if we choose to follow wisdom. Paul, for instance, declares that that, uh, with regard to evil, we should see it with horror. We should abhor it, he says. This is one of the marks of a true Christian. Romans 12, 9, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Well, that sounds awfully prudish these days, doesn't it? It really does. We live in a culture that celebrates evil. Evil is fun. Even evil is right. That's how far uh, we've come. But you know, Many of us who call ourselves Christians have been lulled into a sense of complacency about evil. And we, we just pass over it. It doesn't even bother us anymore. And even more so, sometimes we find that we ourselves are cooperating with evil and participating in it and coming up with excuses about it. Brothers and sisters... Being like Christ is our standard and not the world. Can't say it any more simply and directly than that. Christ is our standard. So we should abhor evil if we fear the Lord. We should abhor it. And we ought to know it when we see it because we're grounded in wisdom as we read our Bibles. We talked about that last week. And as we spend time with our Lord in prayer and also time in fellowship with our fellow brothers and sisters here in the sanctuary. These people who can speak the gospel into our lives. And so the point of verse 13 is that if wisdom hates pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, then my goodness, so should we. (laughs) So should we. The logic is very simple here. We should feel like strangers in this world because we value the things God, heaven forbid that we should ever feel accepted by a world that preaches tolerance for absolutely everything but Jesus Christ. Heaven forbid. 
We must never be considered neither hot nor cold by God or by this world. There should be an obvious difference between us and evil. But the problem sometimes is that that isn't the case. But here we're seeing it right in the word of God. That we are to pursue wisdom because wisdom comes from God. Wisdom reflects the character of God and who we should be. But hatred of evil also requires wisdom, doesn't it? We've got to be careful here. We also need her companions, prudence and knowledge and discretion. For us, we need to know how to love the sinner just as Christ loved the sinners and spent time with them. Just as Christ has loved us. You see, we've got to take hold of godly counsel and sound wisdom. The insight and strength that wisdom is offering us in verse 14. And this is her tremendous value that we learn to love people. Hatred of evil doesn't mean to hate people who need Christ. Hatred of evil means that we'd want nothing to do with it ourselves, but that we have compassion for those who are participating in it. Now, the insight and counsel and strength of wisdom isn't just for ordinary people. It's also what makes a ruler successful in verses 15 and 16. They should hate evil too and love holiness, but clearly not all rulers have wisdom. Uh, Right now in our a country, there's this huge debate in Washington and in state capitals all across the country about what wisdom even is. And so that's why we pray that in the fear of the Lord, they will find it. Because if they do, as verse 16 asserts, they will govern justly. And then in verse 17, wisdom promises that when we love her and genuinely want to find her, we simply will. Again, wisdom isn't hidden somewhere. It doesn't require a degree. It's right there, uh, right in front of us, Bibles and, and through faith in Jesus Christ. We have to be careful with verse 18, however, because this kind of starts sounding like the prosperity gospel. That's a heretical theology that claims that you're going to be re- rewarded monetarily and materially by God the more faith that you have in it. But what Solomon is saying in verse 18 is that wisdom offers the way to a prosperous life. Think of how the Israelites prospered in wealth when they obeyed God. And then think of how everything just fell to pieces when they didn't. This is the picture that's being painted here. Wealth isn't the point of wisdom. It's that wisdom is going to cause you to to conduct your life and maybe even your business in a way that can bring good and honest prosperity. But don't be seeking godly wisdom to get rich. That isn't the point. The point is the greater reward of wisdom. And that we see in verses 19 through 21. Wisdom says, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. 
I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. You see, this is the value, the true value of wisdom, that by it we live righteously in God's eyes and that we love his justice, that we learn to walk in holiness. This is what true wisdom is always pointing us toward. And so we've seen so far how wisdom's character is godly and that wisdom's tremendous value is that she leads us to righteousness and justice. And so now we're going to see wisdom as craftsmen in verses 22 through 31. We're about to find out how wisdom came to be in this world and how God has employed her like a master craftsman. We're about to find out that that even though wisdom is certainly an attribute of God, amen, that instead we're going to find out that what the wisdom that Solomon has been talking about here in chapter 8 is an attribute of creation. It is an attribute that God has given creation. What God is telling us here is that wisdom is essential to life. That since wisdom is a founding principle of creation, we would be absolute fools to try to live contrary to wisdom. Uh, This would be like ignoring our need for food and water, like ignoring our need to breathe. That's how important wisdom is. Wisdom is the first principle of all of creation because wisdom was there in the beginning. In verse 23, ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Wisdom was brought forth when there were no depths, before God had made the earth, before he'd made the first dust. In verse 26, that's simply a reference to the creation of man who was created from the dust. Wisdom was there in verse 27 when God established the heavens and when he made the sky and the oceans and he assigned the sea to its limit in verse 29. And then the woman wisdom makes a startling claim in verses 30 through 31. She says, Then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And so clearly this this is the creation story from a different perspective than Genesis. But what does all of this mean? Well, Many scholars see this as a passage about Christ. They, they connect it to Christ, uh, both through the creation story of Genesis and passages like this in John 1, 3. All things were made through him, that is Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in uh, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen and amen, right? That is absolutely true. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says, But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We say around here very often that context is king. And this is one of those times. Context is king. When we look at the context of of that particular verse, since it uses the language seemingly of Proverbs 8, 
we need to look at the context. Paul is making the argument here in verse 18 that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what's going on here, when Paul speaks of Christ being the wisdom and power of God, he's focusing on what Christ did and what God did through him. He died on a cross. That was an absolutely humiliating and foolish defeat in the eyes of the skeptics. It was a terrible way uh, to die, a shameful way to die. But in reality, this is a display of God's wisdom to bring about salvation in this way. Likewise, this, in the eyes of the skeptics, this seemingly powerless and so-called Savior who died such a degrading death, well, all of that demonstrates the power of God. The power of God to use such shameful circumstances to bring about redemption and salvation for us. And so back to chapter 8, there's something different about the woman wisdom here that doesn't quite fit the description of Christ. And so let me just say, first of all, I'm not going to be angry with you if you believe that Proverbs 8 is about Christ. In a sense, it is. Uh, But Hear me out here. First of all, she describes herself as being possessed by God in verse 22 and set up in verse 23 and brought forth in verses 24 and 25, all of which in the Hebrew language to varying degrees have the connotation of being created or born. Now, we never hear of Christ being born except in his incarnation. He is spoken of in Scripture as being sent and given, but never brought forth before creation. One of the great confessions of the, of, uh, the Christian faith is the Nicene Creed, and that reminds us that our Lord is begotten, not made. Now, when that term, only son or only begotten son, is used in the New Testament, and anyway, all we've got to do is think of some versions of John 3.16 for uh, I've forgotten it, of course. For God so loved the world, thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His only begotten son, okay? Well, in the Greek, this this only begotten essentially means one of a kind. What's being described here is our Lord and the fact that he is both fully God and fully man, which is to say that he was born of a woman after creation, but at the same time, he doesn't have a beginning or an end. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. That means that Christ was already there. He was present with the Father in eternity past, and he has no end. Hebrews seven twenty four says, uh, looking ahead, uh, that he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so all to say, the woman wisdom in Proverbs 8 seems to have a clear beginning. And that's when God created this principle of wisdom for creation, because that's really what we're talking about, the, the foundation, the structure of wisdom. And so in this sense, God gives birth to her. He brings her forth as the founding principle of creation. Now, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternally wise. Amen. So why in the world did God give birth to wisdom as a part of his creation, as it describes, uh, as Proverbs 8 describes it? Well, first, we've got to understand that there's no literal woman wisdom. 
Wisdom is personified here to show us that God ordained wisdom to be the key ingredient of creation. This is a poetic device to help help us to understand the greater reality that the woman of Proverbs 8 personifies an attribute of creation, not an attribute of God in a direct sort of sense. We've seen that wisdom reflects the character of God, certainly. And the great value of wisdom comes from the fact that God is wise. But through this poetic device, God wants us to understand the reality uh, that the unseen part of creation isn't random. There's nothing random about it. There's structure to it. And it's, and it's built, as it were, by a craftswoman in verse 30. Again, this is a personification. And she's working beside the chief engineer. And she delights in everything that he's made, infusing everything with wisdom. Now, I think it looks something like this. This is maybe an example we can all relate to. I think one of the most beautiful buildings in our country is the U.S. Capitol. It was built by a master craftsman, and I had the privilege of spending 16 years inside and out of it, so I know it intimately. But even more than its physical beauty is the fact that the building is infused with, as it were, the likeness of our founding fathers. They valued liberty and freedom of thought and the opportunity to pursue happiness and, and the power to the people and all of those wonderful things that, that we, we uh, celebrate as Americans. And you see this in the very design of the building. There are two houses of Congress. The Senate's on one end of the building, the House is on the other, and then joining them together is this beautiful, beautiful dome. The building itself and all of the the symbolism within it and on its outside, all of this conveys the values of our country. And so that building is a result of the wisdom of the founding fathers, and so is our country. Our country reflects the values that saturate the country that they created. And I think that's a, that's a little picture of what God is showing us here in Proverbs 8. Wisdom is the very fabric of God's creation. It, wisdom is like the two-by-fours behind the drywall. It's the foundation of the building. It's what, it's what makes everything work and hold together along with the power of Christ. The founding principle of all that he has made is wisdom, just as liberty is to our country. And so with all that in mind, let's turn to wisdom's blessing in the last verses of of Proverbs 8, beginning verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. So with all of this in mind, the fact that wisdom is the, is the structure of creation, doesn't it make perfect sense that if that's the case, that there's a direct blessing if we listen to wisdom and that we should embrace wisdom in our lives? Isn't that just purely logical and wise? Wisdom shaped creation, and as God's creatures, we should be shaped by it too. But here's the thing. We have a choice. We have a choice. In verses 34 through 36, we see both the blessing of eagerly seeking wisdom and the consequence of ignoring wisdom. Blessed is the one who listens to me, 
watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. You can, you can just feel the anticipation there, the desire for wisdom. There's, a, there's an, anxious, an anxiousness and an urgency uh, to receive wisdom. Verse 35, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And so whoever finds wisdom finds not only life, but the favor of God. But whoever somehow fails to find wisdom, even though it's right out there for everyone to find, the people who fail to find it will ultimately find death. This is a life or death situation here. Life or death situation. Wisdom is indeed essential to life. It's essential because wisdom itself reflects the character of our God. It's valuable because it guides us toward our God. And wisdom is the founding principle of creation. And so the question here the question that we need to consider is whether we're structuring our lives according to wisdom. Do we understand that since wisdom is the first principle of creation, that ignoring it is just like stepping off of a building and thinking you won't fall? Do we get that? But what does this mean to live in wisdom? How in the world do we do it? Well, I think there are many places in Scripture we could turn, but I think Paul's prayer for the Colossians in the first chapter of his letter is a wonderful place to go. Beginning in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Isn't that the essence of wisdom, that we live for God? If we live for God first, wisdom for all practical matters just falls into place. We're going to have better discernment and judgment about the decisions we have to make in life. We're going to make wise decisions the closer to God we are. And what should our lives produce according to that wisdom? Well, Paul goes on. We should be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. There we go again. Wisdom and power. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's wisdom, isn't it? That's wisdom. This is what wisdom is calling us to. The fruit of our lives should be good things, which means good works for God. It should be a growing relationship with God. And we ought not to rely on our own strength, but to rely on his glorious might, so that as we endure life's trials, we will do so with patience and with joyful thanksgiving to God as we see him work in those circumstances. And also our thanksgiving is because our true inheritance is better than gold. It's better than all the wealth of this world. And Paul wraps it up in verse 13. He says, he has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the wisdom of the cross. It's folly to those who don't believe the cross. But this is the wisdom of God that that God himself would come to die a shameful death for us, bearing our sins so that we could be free from our sins, so that we could become devoted subject of God's unique, one-of-a-kind, only begotten Son who is our King. And so what is your answer to wisdom's call? What is your answer? I think it's a perfect question for us to meditate on as we go to the Lord's table this morning. You know, maybe God is drawing you to him today for the very first time. Maybe you're feeling that tug on your heart. Well, I got to tell you, that's the Holy Spirit calling you. That is wisdom calling you to God. No matter how long we've been a Christian, whether we just... Began, we, we just began our faith in Christ in this moment, or uh, we've been following Christ for a long time. Uh, the, the cross is wisdom to us. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's table. We celebrate the fact that our Lord came in the flesh, the only begotten Son of the Father. He came in the flesh to live and die for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And so I want to invite the deacons forward.